0: Today, we are going to talk about the subject of we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. Now, for those of you that are our guests on campus, let me catch you up to speed just a little bit about what we're doing. It's a 20-something sermon series on what we believe at Cedarville University. It goes through some of our doctrinal statement, some of the things that we just believe. One of those things is the sufficiency of Scripture. But today, instead of giving you a theological discourse on what all the sufficiency of Scripture means... I want to try to drill home the fact that we believe in a doctrine that has practical application for us and for our lives. Because our theology is not something that's theoretical up here that we discuss and then we go on and live our lives and it doesn't matter. Our theology forms our worldview and our worldview is the way we respond and the way we live and the way we act. And so theology is eminently practical. So if you've got your notebooks, and I hope that you are still persevering to carry your notebooks, I know that some days, I've got one yes, where was that? Yes, right back there in the back. That's a back row Baptist with a notebook. I like that. Well done. You get a star for the day. That notebook even has a strap on it. That's impressive. All right, well done. I'll give you a journal after this is over. You, I've got one right down here. You get it right after this is over. Come see me. All right, get your notebooks out. Make sure you've got them. Persevere. Some days it's hard to know exactly when to take notes and what to write down. Some days you can't write fast enough. But I want you to persevere in taking notes because you're going to appreciate this when you look back over it at the end of the year. It's helpful to you to digest what all is going on in chapel as well. So today, if you're at the top, you're going to write, we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. But I want to talk about it practically not in a theological abstract sense, but in a theological practical sense. So I'm going to start off this way. How many of you think the Bible is important? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, then you may be at the wrong location. This is I'm just kidding. This is Cedarville University. We stand for what? The word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. It's on the banners as you walk around campus. It's on the sill as you go out into the front of the chapel. That's who we are. So you would think, though, if people think the word of God's important, that that means they're gonna read the word of God, right? All right, let me give you a survey. This is a 2013 Barnes survey. Uh, you know, some of those surveys are better than others, but this is what the survey says. Out of all Americans, 88% of those they surveyed owned a Bible. It's a pretty good number, right? 88% own a Bible. 80% of them think the Bible is sacred. So, 88% have a Bible. 80% of them think that's a sacred book, that's an important book. So, how many of them do you think actually read their Bibles? Well, let me give it to you. 61% said they wish they read it more. And the average number of Bibles in those households of those 88% was 4.4 Bibles in the average household. So they had four Bibles and then they had torn up the old family Bible or something and had 0.4 left. I don't know what happened there, but 4.4 Bibles in the average household. 57% of those though said this they read their Bibles four times a year or less. 57% said they read their Bibles four times a year or less. So I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to identify yourself, but I want to ask you this question for you to consider personally. How many of you read your Bible as though you truly believe it is sufficient to prepare you for every good work? When something goes wrong who's your first phone call? When something goes wrong in life, who do you turn to? Your roommate first? Do you turn to God in prayer first? Do you look at what his word has to say about the situation? Do you call mom and dad? Where do you turn? Where do you go? How do you live your life? And do you live it as though the Bible is truly a sacred book that is sufficient for us? I would submit to you that most of us in theory, most of us up here in the abstract think the Bible is an important book and we think the Bible is a sacred book. And most of us in this room would say to you, we believe the Bible is God's infallible, inspired, authoritative word to us to tell us how to live our lives. But then I ask you the question and I am convicted myself by the question, how often do you read it and do you treat it as though it's important as you say you believe it is? I think theoretically we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. I think practically we do a very poor job of living it out. And so if we were to look at some Scripture passages that were the typical Scripture passages on the sufficiency of Scripture, we would turn to 2 Timothy 3.16. We're not going there. We're going to go to Deuteronomy 17, but we'll get there in a minute. We would look to 2 Timothy 3.16. I have it for you up here on the screen. General Reno mentioned it in passing yesterday. I'm not preaching that particular text today because you're gonna hear from Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary in November, who is preaching this text in chapel on a Friday here. And so it says to us though, all scripture is breathed out by God. It is God-breathed, even though it has human authors with human personalities, it is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God so that it can be described as God's very breath. Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, It's profitable to teach you what you're supposed to do. It's profitable for reproof, as General Reno mentioned yesterday, to to correct you and to put you on the right path and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. There's another passage often used when you talk about the sufficiency of Scripture. This passage was preached a couple of weeks ago. It's the, the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Here at the end of that story, as Jesus is telling that parabolic story to a group of people, he says, Abraham said to the rich man, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to the rich man, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. He took it one step further. Not only if somebody from the dead would go to them, but he said they won't even be convinced if somebody got up from the dead if they don't believe Moses and the prophets. The scriptures are sufficient for salvation. Those are your typical texts. If you were to look for a definition for the sufficiency of Scripture, they're going to put it up on the screens and leave it up there for you so you could copy this down if you're looking for a definition for it. This comes from Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology book page, the larger Systematic Theology book. Some of you may be using the smaller Bible doctrine. This is from his larger volume, page 127. A definition of the sufficiency of Scripture says that it means that Scripture contained all the words of God that He intended His people to have at each stage of redemptive history. So, when he gave the children of Israel the law, they had what they needed. When he expounded on that and included the prophets, they had what they needed. In this day and time, we have what we need. We have all we need for every good work spiritually in the Word of God. It is sufficient to us. All that he intended each people to have at each stage of redemptive history. And now it contains everything we need God to tell us for salvation, for trusting him perfectly. And for obeying him perfectly. Now note the end of that definition because that's important. Some people will want to say to you, you can't believe in the sufficiency of Scripture because it doesn't tell you how to change your carburetor. It doesn't. That's not the purpose of Scripture. It's not to tell you how to fix your car. It doesn't tell you how to repair a broken leg. It doesn't tell you how some pharmaceutical drugs interact with other pharmaceutical drugs. That's general revelation. We explore that and you learn about that in your classes throughout here. It's still God's truth, but it's general revelation. But what sufficiency of scripture means is that when God speaks in his word, it is truth. It is the ultimate truth. It cannot be trumped by any other truth. It is our source of truth for salvation, for trusting him perfectly and for obeying him perfectly. So if you want to know how can I please God go to the bible If you want to know what should I not do go to the bible If you want to understand how to be saved go to the bible The bible is the sufficient source of truth for those matters Doesn't contain all truth, but where it speaks it is truth So here are a few thoughts for you on the sufficiency of scripture before we go to deuteronomy 17 verses 18 through 20 first of all we are told, and we understand by the sufficiency of Scripture, we should not add to or take away from Scripture. I've got some verses for you there. You can write them down. You can look them up later. We don't have time to go through them all this morning, but Deuteronomy four two, Deuteronomy twelve thirty two, Proverbs thirty five and six, Revelation twenty eighteen and nineteen, tells us not to take away from it or not to add to it. Now, in your systematic classes, you'll go through the history of canonization, you'll talk about how we got the Bible, you'll get into all of that, we just don't have time to go into those details now, but the Bible that we have is trustworthy, and you should understand that you should not take away from it, nor should you add to it. Now, that's important when you start dealing with other religions, which we would call cults, because they have other testimonies of Jesus Christ, other revelations that we do not believe in because we believe the Bible is sufficient as we have it. And so the sufficiency of Scripture impacts your beliefs on other religions as well. God's revelation has been delivered. The Bible tells us that. We understand that we have the faith once delivered to the saints. There is no need for an additional revelation. We also understand, though, that if the Bible is sufficient... That means we do not appeal to tradition as though it's equal with Scripture. It also means we do not appeal to experience as though it's equal with Scripture. So you can't walk up to somebody in a theological conversation and say to them in this theological conversation, I understand what the Bible says, but my experience is. Your experience differs from everybody else's experience. And if you don't ground your theology in the word of God, then you don't truly believe that the word of God is sufficient. The Bible tells us it's sufficient to equip us for every good work. That means our theology comes from it, not from tradition, not from what people have said about the Bible, although that may help us understand it, not from experience and what we have gone through in life because we understand we are fallen in all of our faculties and we cannot perfectly understand what happens to us in life. It is the Bible. This book is that important to you. If you wanna know what to do to please God, go to the Bible. If you wanna know what a sin is, It's either implicitly or explicitly laid out in God's word. Go to the Bible. So in trying to find a passage that would emphasize to you the importance of scripture, the importance of God's word, I landed on Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 20. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 17, and I'm going to read verses 18 through 20, and we're going to walk through this. And then I'm going to give you four practical applications at the end of it, and then we'll be done. Deuteronomy 17, verses 18 through 20. If you would, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? Deuteronomy chapter 17, beginning in verse 18, says this. It's talking about the kings and the laws concerning the kings of Israel when it would come to pass. In verse 18, he says, and when he sits on the throne of his kingdom... He shall write for himself in a book, a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest. And it shall be with him. And he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord, his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Dear Lord, as we look at your word, we pray that we would be faithful to it, challenged by it, and that Jesus would be glorified. We ask this in his name. Amen. And you may be seated. So when we look at this text, beginning in verse 18, we look and we see that when he sits on his throne, when the kings would come, what is the king supposed to do? He's to write for himself in a book a copy of this law. This law, I believe, indicates the law of Moses, the entire law, not just the law. It represented in these few verses here. And there's some disagreement over whether it says he writes, meaning that he has to personally copy for himself, or whether it would be like it said when Solomon built the temple, that he commanded it be done and it was done for him. But either way you go, whether the king was to write the actual words for himself and have them approved by one of the Levitical priests, or whether the king was to commission a copy of God's word to be granted to him, it's very clear in the text that the main point is that he has a copy of God's word with him at all times he is to keep it and he is to have it there now think about that if you were to run for president of the United States right now as Rob Turner announced he was doing earlier this week he's got my vote I'm just saying you know. if you were to run for president somebody would ask you what are you going to do what do they typically tell us well I'm going to strengthen the military I'm going to make the economy better but what we're told happens in Deuteronomy chapter 17 verse 18 is actually the exact opposite of what logic would tell us you should do in order to build a strong kingdom. In fact, look at what was not commanded as we back up and look at verse 16 where it says only he must not acquire horses for himself or cause the people of Egypt uh, to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. He's told don't accumulate horses or a strong army. The king is not supposed to accumulate a strong army for defense. That makes absolutely no sense. How is he gonna defend us? Well, we understand that their trust was to be in the Lord and not in horses or chariots. It's in the name of their God. And so here, as you look at this, you see immediately the king's told, don't build a strong defense up because that's not where your safety's found. The king is also told in verse 17, and he shall not acquire many wives for himself. Now think about this. Strategically, if you lived in an area and there were a lot of other kingdoms around you and you were able to go to those kingdoms and you were to make a deal so that one of the daughters of those kings would become your wife and would live in your castle, that king would be much less out to attack you if his daughter lived in your castle as one of your wives. And if you were able to somehow strategically obtain a wife from all of the kingdoms who were surround you and you had all of the seven or eight different kingdoms, you had that many wives and all all of them were the daughters of those kings, that would provide you at least earthly thinking with some safety because you had good treaties. You had good relationships. You had formed good North American treaties or good international treaties. And what the word of God is saying to this king is he's saying to them, don't marry a bunch of wives because the wives are gonna turn your heart away from God. And when we look at Solomon, the man that prayed for wisdom, the wisest man, and you see that he married so many different wives and eventually in his life, what happened? The word of God is true and it turned his heart away from God. And so I emphasize to you this morning, the word of God is true. Sometimes it may not make earthly sense to us as we look at it with our flawed logic, but God's logic is not flawed and his ways are higher than our ways and we must trust his word and to trust his word we have to read his word and value his word and memorize his word and meditate on his word this book is the guidebook for life and the sooner you implement the words of this book in your life the better your life is going to be it also says verse 17 nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver or gold wait a second That's how the economy works. Every presidential election in our country here lately has been about the economy, right? So what are you saying? I'm saying that God is telling the king in the words of Scripture... You're not to trust in horses for your defense. You're not to trust in marrying a bunch of wives, either for your personal pleasure or political strategy. You're not to trust in gold or silver for your economic strategy or for your own personal prosperity. You are to trust in God. And so what he tells him not to do is for you on the screen. No horses or strong army, no wives or earthly wisdom to create alliances, no accumulation of the large treasury of gold or silver so you avoid greed or material possession. So look then at what he says do. If we're not to do all the things that an earthly king might want to do, then what are we to do? Well, what was commanded is to write or obtain a copy of God's law. How many of you have a copy of God's word? Let me see it. You got it with you? All right, I love it. I see a lot of Bibles out there, just like the, I see some iPhones out there too. That's all right. As long as you're on the right app, not on the wrong app, all right? God's Word, you got it. You got a copy of it. Do you carry it with you? Yes, we do, because we have it on our iPhones, our iPads, our laptops. We have copies of God's Word written like this. We have different translations of God's Word. How many of you like the ESV? Raise your hand. How many of you like the, the NIV? Raise your hand. NASB, raise your hand. New King James, raise your hand. King James? How many of you have all of the above? Raise your hand. Proud of those Bibles. I like that. We have Bibles. Do we read them? Do we memorize them? Do we meditate upon them? It says also here that he was to have that copy approved by the Levitical priest. Some would argue that this means he was to write it himself because If they were already writing it and providing the copy for him, then why would they have to approve it? Some would say, no, that's not what it means. He just needs to have it provided either way you go. This is the text tells us it was to be approved by the Levitical priest. It also says he was to keep it with him all of his days. I wanna emphasize for you practically all of his days. Oh, I've read the Bible. I read the Bible years ago. I'm done reading the Bible. No, you're not. See, the Bible is a book that you don't read. The Bible is a book that reads you. And when you're in God's Word and the Holy Spirit is convicting you of things that you are doing that's wrong or things you need to do that's right, the Bible is a book that will give you the way that the Lord wants you to go for the rest of your life. You never, ever, ever finish reading the Bible. You can read the Bible all the way through just to start back over and read the Bible all the way through again. You can read it in different translations. You study it, you dive deep. See, I think the problem is some people are just skipping a rock across the surface of the Bible. I've got to read the Bible my three minutes so that I can say I read the Bible and check the box. I'm gonna tell you 10 minutes a day won't cut it. It's not a box to be checked. It's a relationship to be desired. It's not something that you gather in information and you're done with. It is a truth to be ingested and meditated upon and focused upon for the rest of your life. Some of you have gone past skipping rocks. You jumped in the water and you started swimming. It's time to scuba dive. It's time to stop going across the surface. It's time to get rid of the snorkeling gear. It's time to put on your scuba gear and dive down to the depths of God's word to look at what it says. When you read something, you don't understand it, find out what it means. It's there for a reason. The Bible is sufficient. The Bible is important. Here he says, have a copy. Keep it with you. Keep it with him all the days of his, of his life and to read in it all the days of his life. It's not just enough to have it and carry it around. You don't just carry the Bible around because you think it's gonna make the ladies think that you're more godly and they might be more likely to go out on a date with you. And so you've got a really big Bible. I'm not going there. Don't even worry about it. That's not why you have it. You have it to read it. You have it to learn about it. You have it to memorize it. You have it to meditate on it. Read it all the days of your life. Now let me ask you a question. If it's this important for the king, that God's commandment to the king, the first thing he's to do is to get or to write a copy of God's word, to keep it with him, and to read in it all the days of his life, if it's important for him to lead well for an entire nation, don't you think it's important for us to do the same thing in our lives? Bible is sufficient. Let's look at what the results are. It tells us in the text that he should acquire it. It also gives us in the text uh, that he should keep it, that he should read it. And then we move into some that clauses. And then these that clauses, you'll find four of them And those that clauses, uh, it tells us there in verse 19, that he may learn to fear the Lord, his God, by keeping it. So I've got the first one up here for you on the screen, that he may learn to fear God, which we understand from other scriptures, the beginning of wisdom. How many of you want to be wise? You want to be wise? Read God's Word. There are other books you have to read too, but God's Word is not like a book that you may read once and say I've read it and you ingest the knowledge it's different, read God's word, it will make you wise, it will make you learn to fear God. It says to fear the Lord by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. You read it, you understand it, you fear God because you understand who God is, you understand who you are, and then it says you're going to keep it and you're going to do it. It's not just learning about the information and never applying it to your life, it's reading the Word of God and then applying the principles. When it tells you to think on positive things, you apply that. You think on positive things, not negative things. When it tells you don't do this, you you apply that and you don't do that. You keep the statutes is in it. That's not legalism. That's love God and do what you please. But when you learn to fear God and love God, you want to do things that honor God. So here it says you'll learn to fear God. It also says too that you will learn and maintain humility. Look at what it says in the text there in verse 20. It says that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers. If you ever in your life struggle with pride, read the Bible. It'll put you in its place. If you ever think I've arrived, I have succeeded, I'm it, read the Bible and let the Bible read you and let the Bible convict you of how wicked your thoughts are, of how stray your intentions are, of how humble we should be before a righteous and gracious and holy God that loves us The king is to read the Bible so that it will make his heart not be lifted up pridefully above his brothers. He's to read the Bible so that he'll follow God's law without turning away. Look at the the third that also there in verse 20, that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left. You'll recall other texts of scripture that talks about following God, turning neither to the right or to the left. We follow straight the words of scripture, the commands here. And then you get the last so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. You want a lasting legacy? You want to have a true legacy? Not a legacy that's completely gone, but you want to make a difference? You want to make a difference for all eternity? Read the Bible. Do what the Bible says. Memorize scripture, meditate on scripture. That's what the sufficiency of scripture means is that we value the scripture personally for how it will change our lives. I can't emphasize to you enough that you need to read the Bible. If you get nothing else but you understand all the days of your life that you read God's Word and you don't just read it to check the box, but you read it to learn more about God and to learn more about yourself, the Holy Spirit living within you that inspired the text of Scripture, convicting you, challenging you, guiding you. If you read this book the rest of your days, if that's all you ever learn at Cedarville University is to read the Bible every day the rest of your life, you will have benefited greatly. The Bible is crucial. It's essential for your spiritual walk with God. All right. Have I gotten my point across to you? I think the Bible is important. We don't worship it, we worship the God of the Bible. It reveals the God to us. He has revealed himself to us in his word. And so that's why the Bible is so important. So now let me switch gears. Let me move to some application that I have for you. Some very simple, basic application that I want you to write down, I want you to implement in your life, and the first point of application is we should read God's Word. This is my text for that. You say, what's your text to say you should read God's Word? Here it is, Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 20, he shall read it all the days of his life. You need to read God's Word. Now you say, well, how do I read God's Word? Do I just pick up the Bible every morning and then just kind of do this this holy um, lottery pick where I open it up and point to a verse and decide I'm gonna read that verse. Now, that's not how you read God's word, all right? You need to read all of it. This is God's message to you, revealing to you who he is and who you are. You need to read it from the very first page to maps in the back, all right? It's in the beginning to maps, read it all. You understand that some of the notes are not inspired, but you understand the text is read it all. Read every bit of it. You say, well, how am I going to do that? I would need to have some sort of a plan if I were going to read all of the Bible. Exactly. And we have that for you. The Live the Word Bible reading plan that was developed by Student Life and Christian Ministries is free of charge, and you can get your copy today down front after chapel or in the Student Life area if you need a copy of this. It is a good plan for you to read. You will read the entire Bible during your time at Cedarville if you follow this plan that we have created. You say, I don't, I don't wanna read that plan. Okay, fine. Get a plan. You have a smartphone? How many of you have a smartphone? <laughs> yeah. Just as excited about the smartphone as the journal. You just, you lost points, I'm sorry. The, jur- the journal's more important. Anyway, if you have a smartphone, there's an app. It's a Bible reading plan and it has other things. It's a Bible app. You search for that. You look at lifechurch.tv and the app that they have created. It has Bible reading plans for you. If you have Logos Bible software, which one of the vice presidents is a Cedarville graduate that developed Logos Bible software, you can create Bible reading plans in Logos software, which is what I do. But if you've got that Life Church app or if you've got Logos, you can have the Bible read to you even as you're getting ready in the morning. You can tell it to audibly read and it will read what you're supposed to be going through that particular day out loud to you as you're getting ready or as you're doing other things or as you're walking. There is no excuse for us not to be saturated with the Word of God. As I think about everything that is there with us, I have the ESV Bible audio CD on my phone on a playlist, and I have Max McLeon who's reading it, and he's got a really cool accent, and his really cool accent helps me pay attention even more. So as I'm driving in the car on a trip, I can put on that and I can listen to an entire book of the Bible in one car trip. As I'm running or as I'm working out, I can listen to God's word going in my ears. You say, well, you may not be paying attention to it as closely. That's not my quiet time. That's what I do in addition to my quiet time to supplement having God's word infiltrate my life to teach me how bad I am and how great he is so that I'm always reminded of who God is in his word and what he wants to do in my life. You have all of these things that you can do, all of these opportunities. It's here. The king, he either had to write it himself or tell somebody else to go write it. Can you imagine copying God's word? Well, maybe you can. And in fact, if you want to, we have something for you as well. This is the Deuteronomy 17, 18 series. It was developed by one of our trustees here at Cedarville, Rob Winalda. It's a journal or a journalable, as he calls it, where you have notes where you can write God's word and you can write comments about God's word in this. Now, if it was important enough for the king to write it or to have somebody else write it, it's pretty important for us too. So in your spare time, as you're you're looking around your room with nothing to do, as you're going on summer break or summer vacation, journalables. You can get one of these and you can copy God's word and it will help you to memorize and to meditate on it as you do that, another resource for you there. Number two, we should memorize God's word. Psalm one hundred nineteen eleven. How can a young man keep his ways pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wonder from your commandments. Is that your desire? Is that where you wanna to be today? Do you identify with this? How can I keep my ways pure, God? I mess up when I don't want to mess up. How can I be pure and right before you? How can I guard my way? With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. What do you do? I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Let me confess to you Scripture memorization is not my strength. It is something I need to do, as you need to do, but it is not a strength. A few of the things, though, that I have found that is helpful, and I'm still working and learning, and I welcome some of you to help me to be better at it as well, is you can memorize individual verses, but I found it's better if you memorize large portions of Scripture. So how do you memorize large portions of Scripture? Well, in this box of note cards, I hold before you the entire book of Philippians on note cards. You want to memorize the book of the Bible? Here it is. Roughly 30 chapters, 30 verses a chapter, four chapters. You put them on note cards as you're working out, as you're walking, as you're doing things. You can scroll through and you can try to memorize an entire book of God's word. There are other things you can do too. They have scripture memory CDs where you can listen to them as you're driving. Now, I'm going to give you the warning up front, all right? I have kids, so I can get away with this. A lot of those scripture memory CDs, they sound like they were produced for kids ages like four to ten, right? But they stick in your head. I'm telling you, our, our kids know these scripture memory CDs, but so do I. And it's goofy music, but if it helps me memorize God's Word, it's pretty incredible music at the same time, right? And so, if you want to get some of those crazy CDs or Hey, you know what? If you're a music student and you want to produce some really cool CDs, setting God's word to music in a way that college students all around the world would love to listen to in a way that helps people memorize scripture, go for it. I don't have that skill, but there are half a dozen of you in the room right now that could do that. And you could do that in your sleep for fun and make a difference for the kingdom of God. Challenge issued. We'll see if you take me up on it. All right. All right, I'm going to move on to number three. We should talk about God's word. Where do I get that we should talk about God's word? Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. And these words that I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, but not just teaching them to your children. You should talk of them when you sit in your house. You should talk of them when you walk by the way. You should talk of them when you lie down and when you rise up. This was one of the things General Reno mentioned yesterday as he's going to sleep at night meditating on Scripture. Here it is when you lie down and when you rise up. Here's the text of Scripture saying that that is a way that we meditate and think and talk about God's Scripture. We talk about it. You bind them as a sign on your hand, frontless between your eyes. You write them on the doorpost of your house and your gates. As you decorate your, your house, as you as you graduate, move on and purchase and, and decorate houses, do you decorate your house with the intent of having Scripture in? In your house, of having something in your house so that when you're talking to somebody, you can point to it to share the gospel? Do you ever talk about Scripture? When you're walking from the chapel to Chucks, do you talk about Scripture? Or do you talk about everything else? It was just the other day I had a conversation with General Reno. We were both preparing to go into a meeting, and I was working on this passage of Scripture, and it was blowing me away of what the the king was supposed to do and how important God's word was and I began to share some things that were on my heart and he quickly responded as soon as I stopped and said thank you and began to respond with some of the things he was learning from Psalm 1 and we had a moment there where we were just sharing what God was teaching us in Scripture and it was an uplifting, encouraging moment. Do you have those moments where you talk about what God's teaching you in Scripture or are you not in Scripture enough to have those moments? My challenge to you spiritually is to drill deep into God's word and allow it to drill deep into you. Talk about the word of God. Number four, we should meditate on God's word. You heard this yesterday. I don't need to spend a lot of time on it, but a verse that I would use to support this is Joshua 1, 7 and 8. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn to the right hand or to the left. Does that sound familiar? That you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law should not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good successes. Meditate on God's word. So I lay down to go to sleep at night, I pray and I meditate on Scripture. As I get up in the morning, the first thought I want to have, it doesn't always happen. Things going on in life and at the school and other things that take time, but the first thought I want to have every morning is God, thank you for your grace in my life as I think about Scripture and what God has done in my life and the grace he has given me. Do you understand how wretched and filthy we are? I don't mean that as an insult to you because I'm right there with you. We are sinners And we can do nothing other than plead to the mercy of the cross because we are sinners saved by grace. Here's your summary. Read God's word. Memorize God's word. Talk about God's word. Meditate on God's word. If you believe in the sufficiency of scripture, here are your marching orders. Here are your homework assignments. Here are your life big rocks to make sure that you put them in the jar first As I have grown in my walk with God, I will confess to you that there were days previously where I would get up in the morning and have so much to do and I would think I need to spend extra time preparing for this or preparing for that and I would go over notes and look at things and I realized that sometimes I would get so busy and so caught up in my stuff that I wouldn't first thing in the morning look at God's word and read God's word. I have learned in my life that the best thing I could possibly do every morning, first thing in the morning is get up and read God's word. It doesn't matter how many things are on my plate for that particular day. If I will stop and pause and anchor and as Romans says, renew my mind through God's word daily, it will help my day to go better. It will help me to be more focused and centered in Christ. It will help me to respond better even to the bad things that happen. And so I encourage you, make these your big rocks in life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for your ancient words that are ever true. God, we thank you for your word and that you cared enough about us to reveal your word to us. Father, we thank you that it tells us of your son Jesus who died on a cross to save us from our sins. We thank you for the grace and the mercy and Lord, we are not worthy of it and we confess that to you. So God, I pray today for myself and I pray for all of those who are in the room with me, Lord, that you would help us to take your word seriously. Lord, that you would help us to read your word to memorize your word, to talk about your word, and to meditate on your word, and that that would be the desires of our heart. Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You are dismissed.